We have two readings this morning, the first one from John 14 and the second from Acts chapter 2. We have folks who are reading. (laughs) This is John 14, verses 15 through 17. If you love me, you will obey what I command. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him. For he lives with you and will be in you. And then from Acts, the second chapter, the first through 21st verses, the Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what appeared to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak to each other in to other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language, utterly amazed. They asked, are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus in Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues, amazed and perplexed. They asked each other, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd, Fellow Jews, and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken of by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in these days. And they will prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Almighty God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing unto you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. As we come to gather around this, your word, even the apostles' teaching today, 
We pray that you would come and meet us, uh, meet us who have come from so many different places, uh, even as those who gathered around the disciples at Pentecost, uh, speaking different words, having different experiences, feeling different emotions, um, having different fears and failures and hopes and dreams. Take us who have come from so many different places and do what only you can do. Take us to the place that you would have us to be together. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Uh, so, Pentecost Sunday. Not a surprise we read the story of Pentecost, was it? Uh, the, the story of uh, the disciples who were awaiting uh, as they followed the instructions of Christ at his ascension, awaiting the gift of the Spirit. And so they're together. They're in one place. And the Spirit comes and fills that place and fills them. And there are all these illusions, these, these descriptions of the Spirit's presence that reminds them of the ways that the Spirit has been at work in the past. And so when they hear the sound like a mighty rushing wind, they're reminded of, of the Ruach of God, the breath, the wind, the Spirit who hovered over the waters at the creation and then was breathed into Adam, causing the man to become a living being. We're reminded of the Spirit who blows and the waters part the Red Sea and the people move from slavery into freedom. The Spirit's blowing again. We think of the Spirit um, who came and attested to Jesus Christ as the Messiah, as the Son of God, as the only begotten at the great theophany uh, as Jesus went into the Jordan River and was baptized and the Spirit descended in the form of a dove. A dove that hearkened also to the dove with the olive branch at his beak that was brought to Noah. All these allusions, all these remembrances. And just a note on the Jordan River, uh, I, had some, I had some friends who showed up with some water from the Jordan River this morning that, that they brought. So I'm very thankful for that. Uh, that's a, that's a, quite a gift. Um, and so as we think of the Spirit showing up in these, in these images, we also see the divided tongues as a fire beginning to anoint the disciples. We remember these images of fire, the fire, the burning bush, right? the, the bush that burned without being consumed, from which um, God called to Moses to come near. We think um, of not only the burning bush, but also the pillar of fire that led the people through the wilderness, that lit the way by night, but was a cloud that shaded them by day. We're reminded of that cloud, which also appeared atop the Mount of Transfiguration when Jesus went there with Peter, James, and John. And the cloud descended upon them, and they heard again this voice, this is my beloved son, listen to him. And Peter said, should we build some, some booths, some tents here, so that we can stay with you? Not knowing that he was to become the tent, the, the temple, the place where the Spirit would come and reside, and the glory of God would fill him. Uh, all of these themes are swirling around, connecting the scriptures together. It's quite a scene. Uh, in it, the disciples uh, are spoken of as being filled with the Spirit. They begin to speak in other tongues. There are Jews there in Jerusalem at the time to celebrate one of the feasts from all over the Roman Empire, speaking all manner of different languages, but they begin to hear them each in their own voice. They're amazed by this. And they say, what does this mean? 
the question sort of hangs over them and hangs over us. What, what does this mean? We see the confusion of the languages at the Tower of Babel. But now the undoing of that and the coming together by the Spirit, the, be, the, the making one of all people here in this instance. Um, what does this mean? Some ask it in earnest. Some ask it in jest, laughing. Maybe they've had too much to drink. But they ask the question, and Peter stands up and answers it. You know, Peter, the guy who since the time of Christ's arrest has been either living in fear or cowardice or tremendous guilt or confusion about how he fits into God's kingdom at all, the one that Jesus said, you'll deny me three times before the rooster crows, and he does to the servant girl who said, aren't you one of his disciples? The one who felt such guilt and had that guilt relieved when Jesus met him, the resurrected Christ by the shores of the sea. And he asked him three times, do you love me? He says, yes, feed my sheep, feed my lambs, feed my flock. But how? But now in this very public way, the question is asked, what does this mean? And Peter, filled now with the Spirit, is bold and he steps forward and in faith proclaims Christ and in faith proclaims that what was prophesied in the Scripture has come to pass in Jesus, but also in the giving of the Spirit. What was prophesied by the prophet Joel has now come to be, that the Spirit has been poured out on all flesh. This is it. This is what is happening right now. Of course, that itself being a promise that, you know, the reading from John 14 reminds us of. Jesus says that he, if, if we keep his commands, that he would ask the Father, and the Father would send the Spirit to live within us and never to leave us. That's what we remember today. But God forbid that we just remember it. Should we not also ask for it? and enter into it, and seek after it, this gift of the Holy Spirit, this gift of God living in you, this gift of God binding us together, this gift of God which removes fear and guilt and makes us bold? Should we ask for that again? Y'all are just looking at me hard. <laughs> I think so. That's what I think we should do. So the question looms over us like the question asked of, of, of Peter. What does this mean? What should we do? Maybe that's the next question. What should we do? I'm no Peter, but I got something for you to do. You have an insert in your bulletin. It's a prayer. I didn't come up with this prayer. I invite you to take it out. Um, you know, I've been doing some studies in um, the Eastern Church, and I don't know how many centuries this has been the opening morning prayer for most Christians uh, in, let's say, the eastern part of the world. For, for millions, well, really for billions of people, this has been the first prayer that they pray every morning. Um, I, I've, I've been praying this prayer with some regularity. Uh, the, the morning prayers for them begin in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And then this. A 
prayer addressed to the Holy Spirit. That's where they start. O Heavenly King, Comforter, Spirit of Truth, who art everywhere present and fillest all things, treasure of goodness and giver of life, come and abide in us, cleanse us from every stain, and save our souls, O good one. You, since you have it written before you, uh, could we pray that together right now? Mm-hmm. Let's pray for the Holy Spirit on Pentecost. Uh, o Heavenly King, the Comforter, the Spirit of Truth, who art everywhere present and fillest all things, treasury of goodness and giver of life, come and abide in us. Cleanse us from every stain and save our souls, O good one. Amen. Um, yeah, what I'd like to do is just go, go through each clause, and let's just think about each one for a moment, because my hope is that you will take this prayer home with you and pray it. Uh, I've, I've been um, sort of continually convicted that part of what we need to do as a church is to have and to share some common habits together. They can be simple things. Um, the session, along with the Sunday school class of which I'm a part, that meets downstairs on Sunday mornings um, at ten at ten ten a.m. every morning, most of us have an alarm go off on our phones uh, that reminds us to stop and to pray. Here I am, Lord. Here we are. Uh, reminding us of the question God asks Adam and Eve as they hide from God in the garden. God comes searching after them and says, where are you? And so we, we respond, we remember in that moment that God is pursuing me, seeking after me in, in a day. And so we stop then and we, we answer with that same response that Moses gives to God when God calls him from the burning bush. We, we respond with that same response that Samuel uh, uses when the Lord calls him in the night. Here I am, Lord. And then we say, here we are as a way of lifting up one another. It's just a simple habit. It takes a split second, but it's there. Um, you know, during Lent, we, uh, we prayed together. I printed off another prayer. Uh, Lord and Master of my life, take from me a spirit of sloth, idle curiosity, love of power, and useless chatter, but rather accord to me your servant a spirit of chastity, humility, patience, and love. Yes, Lord and King, grant that I may see my own sin and not condemn my brother, or my sister, for blessed are you unto the ages of ages. And so we prayed that as a common practice together. Many people did. Not everybody did. Um, so here's, here's like the next thing, maybe. Um, and if you need an extra copy or we need more copies later, I'll be glad to get you one. But my, my real hope is that Pentecost this year will not be something you celebrated on June 5th. But it is something that you will continually pursue, the gift of the Spirit, every day. Um, So let's think about the prayer. What are we actually going to pray together? This prayer begins, O Heavenly King. Um, First of all, in my prayers, I don't often address the Holy Spirit directly or or personally. Um, And when I do, I usually don't refer to the Spirit as, O Heavenly King. Um, I don't know if anyone else does that, but that's not been my usual starting point. But this is a tradition handed down by the church for millennia. 
O heavenly king. Who is the king of heaven? Who do you think of? God. God? Mm-hmm. Jesus. Right. Yeah, typically, I, you know, I, I would typically think Jesus, the ascended Lord of heaven and earth, this king, established king of heaven and earth. Um, and yet now we're calling the spirit king, the king of heaven. And I think it points to that larger frame. The, 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 the triune God is, is the king of heaven. And actually acclaiming the spirit as the heavenly king is identifying the spirit as one with the Father and the Son. This is a Trinitarian beginning to the prayer. Redressing the Spirit who is one, the Spirit who is one with the Father and the Son. So we begin with an address to the heavenly king, and we can speak of the Spirit in this way. Um, think of an earthly king. Maybe think a thousand years ago, an earthly king, right? Don't think of the, you know, royal family in England or something. Let's not do that. Let's think about like a, a thousand years ago, as you would stereotypically imagine coming to meet the king. Do you stroll into the throne room? No. Um, you make an appointment, I guess, and guards escort you, and you show up there, and you probably kneel. Because here's the one who has complete and total power and authority. That's not to make a one-to-one equation between God's kingship and worldly power, but I think it does cause us to pause for just a moment and say, we're not addressing the earthly king here. We're saying the heavenly king, which doesn't omit the earth, but includes it, and even more, king over all that is. You, can't, you actually don't have the framework in your mind to imagine how transcendent and how high this kingship truly is. This king is so high above you, you cannot attain him. You cannot reach up to him. You can't just, you know, stroll in to the courtroom without his will allowing it. We call him, O heavenly king, one with the Father and the Son. And then we immediately call the same one comforter. These things are so far apart in my imagination. The transcendent one who is far above all things is also the comforter. The comforter of who? who? You. Your comforter. Like the one who draws near to you. The one who sees the wounds in your life, in your heart, in your soul, in your body. The one who cares about the things that bother you and make you sad and have caused you to struggle. The one who wants to come and give you comfort in the midst of that is also the transcendent one far above all things. The spirit of the living God, the person of the Holy Spirit, is the one who comes so close. So, I don't, you know, sometimes you can start how high the spirit is and, and then be awed by how near the spirit comes. Or you could do the opposite and you could say, the one who is right here with me is also the one who is so far above that there could not be anything without his will. But the juxtaposition of these two things um, is, is, is leading us little by little into the reality of the person of who the Spirit is. In fact, the first five of these clauses describe the Spirit, 
the last three begin to ask the Spirit to act. O Heavenly King, Comforter, Spirit of Truth. Um, I noted this morning that we live, we live in a world, you live a life where most people lie to you. Like, a lot. And sometimes that's by ignorance. They just don't know the truth, and so they just tell you their opinion or whatever they think, but it's not actually true. It's just what they think. And sometimes that's done maliciously. Um, sometimes it's done by accident. Sometimes it's done by great intent. But there are a lot of lies that have passed through your ears. And some of them you believed and have gone into your head and descended into your heart and have shaped who you are. Part of being human is we can't ultimately always tell the difference. You can't know what is true by yourself. And right here we're addressing the high king of heaven who comes to comfort us as the spirit of truth. So what I want you to know and to recognize right now is that the Holy Spirit of the living God will never, ever, ever lie to you will never lie to you. Isn't that really, really wonderful? The Spirit will tell you the truth about yourself because you lie to yourself too. I lie to myself all the time. <laughs> the Spirit will tell you the truth about yourself. The Spirit will tell you the truth about others. The Spirit will tell you the truth about the world. The Spirit will tell you the truth about God. The Spirit will tell you the truth about your life and what it has been and what it will be and what it can be. And I want you to also recognize that truth is not an abstract principle. Um, truth is, is not just like uh, a sentence that you can say, this sentence is true. Sentences are made of words, and words always point them beyond themselves to, to actual things and, and realities, right? Words are signifiers. The words aren't just true. It's the thing that they signify that is true. Um, truth is an abstract principle. It is a person. Who's the truth? Jesus. Yeah, I hear it whispered. Jesus said, I am the truth. I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. The spirit of truth that you are appealing to is the spirit of Jesus Christ. The one who died for you and rose again for you and is Lord of heaven and earth, ascended for you, prays for you as our um, assurance of pardon reminded us that Jesus prays for us. The one who ascended and promised that he would send the spirit. The spirit of truth is the spirit of Jesus Christ. It is not the force like on Star Wars, right? I think some of us can kind of go there a little bit. Like the Spirit is this weird thing, like if you can tap into it, it's sort of power, it connects everything. The Spirit of truth is the Spirit of Jesus Christ. O Heavenly King, Comforter, the Spirit of truth, who art everywhere present and fill all things, but not in a pantheistic way that says like, God is the trees and God is the rivers and the forests and the lakes and all that. 
the Spirit is also distinct, but none of those things could exist apart from the Spirit. Everything, who art everywhere present and fill us all things. Um, that seems comprehensive. Everywhere present fills all things. All is like a big word, isn't it? Does that, mean, does that include you? Does it include, like, right now? The Spirit is everywhere present and fills all things. Could we take 10 seconds and be absolutely silent and strive just for a moment to recognize the truth that the Holy Spirit of the living God is here with you, with us, in you? Heavenly King, Comforter, Spirit of Truth, who art everywhere present and fill us to all things. Thank you that you're here with us. Um, some of the great practitioners of prayer will say that when you begin to engage with silence, at first you might notice an emptiness or an absence, but very soon you'll begin to discover that in that silence there is a presence. Who is that? It's the Holy Spirit. Who are everywhere present and fill us to all things. Treasury of goodness. Um, last week I asked you if you had ever had any conflict ever at any time with anyone. <laughs> and you laughed and said, well, yeah, right? So now this morning I'm going to ask you, has anything good ever happened to you in your entire life ever? Yes. 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 Thank God for that. Do you know where that came from? Who that came from? The Holy Spirit of the living God. It came from God. It comes in all manner of different ways. You know, breakfast this morning was good for me. I enjoyed it. It came, I guess, in some manner from General Mills, as much as I hate to admit, <laughs> hate to admit that. You know, I eat cereal, that sugary delight. Uh, but it also is a gift of the Spirit. There's such thing as food that I can enjoy it. I can take it into my, into my being, and it, and it fills me with life. Um, Every gift that is good that you have ever received came forth from the treasury of the Spirit, the treasury of goodness that is the Spirit. And this treasury cannot be exhausted. A treasure of inexhaustible goodness is who you are appealing to when you pray this prayer every day in the morning. This Spirit is the giver of life. And by that we mean, of, of course, yes, biological life is part of that. The life that continues because I ate, you know, Honey Nut Cheerios for breakfast. But, but more than that, we mean Zoe life. The biblical word, the fullness of life. Life in the spirit. Life in the resurrected Christ. Life that has already trampled down death by death and now exists and participates in the kingdom of God which is ongoing. Um, we ask the heavenly king, the comfort of the spirit of truth, who are everywhere present, fill us all things, the treasure of goodness and the giver of life. That's how we're beginning to name the Spirit. Aspects, not comprehensively, but now we shift and we begin to ask the Spirit to, to do some particular things. And the first of those is to come and abide in us. 
You know, that word abide does not mean come for like a nice three and four days is sometimes kind of pushing it stay, right? This is good for a vacation. No, to abide means to come and to stay and to never leave. To never leave. Christ says, abide in me and I will abide in you. The name of our kids' Sunday school class curriculum is Abide. Jesus said that if you will keep my commandments, I will ask the Father and Father will send the Spirit to come and to be in you and to remain with you. Judy Marshall's prayer as she's dealt with the ongoing effects of cancer and chemotherapy has been, Lord, stay with me. Lord, be with me. Stay with me. And that's the promise Jesus has given us, that he will never leave us nor forsake us. In fact, that's why he ascended to heaven, that he might send the Spirit. And he said the Spirit will remain with you. And we ask the Spirit to abide in us, to take up residence in our lives, to transform us, to be home, to make us a temple. There's a fullness there. But of course, if you're like me, when you invite somebody over, you have to clean up, like, you know... A <laughs> You can only imagine um, what, what the floor looks like in our house before we have to clean up. But, you know, if you, if you invite an honored guest over, you want to clean up, yeah? You, you at least want to make things look reasonable. Part of, you know, a growing edge is not having to pretend that everything's always pristine, but that it can be lived in. Um, but you know what? There are some aspects of your own life that you can't clean up, like... There are parts of you that you can't get clean. You don't have a detergent good enough to get the stain out. And so you're inviting the Spirit to come and abide in you, and yet the Spirit is the one who is coming to clean house, to cleanse you from every stain. It's a beautiful thing that the Spirit of living God, so high above us, who comes to comfort us, is also the one who wants to purify our lives and can do it and promises to do it. In fact, promises not only to purify us, but to save our souls. To save you. That's the last thing we, we ask in this prayer. To save our souls, oh good one. Um, you know, it's some, somewhat typical for us to think of our salvation as in the past. Certainly we can ground that in the work of Christ on the cross, the resurrection from the tomb. We might ground that also as well in our, the moment of our, sort of our recognition of what Christ has done for us and our desire to offer our life to him, which is sealed in in our baptism. And we might say that, okay, we think of that as past. But actually salvation, the saving of our souls, isn't, isn't just a past thing. It actually happens now, too, in the present. And it will happen in the future when Christ comes again. So we appeal to the Holy Spirit to save our souls. When? Today. Save us. Save me from myself. Goodness. Save me from the things around me that would seek to tear me apart. Save me from those powers and principalities which we mentioned last week that want to devour us and tear apart our, 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 um, our souls. Save us, Lord. There's the appeal. Do you think you can pray this prayer? You don't have to remember all those things or make it take this long, right? But could you pray that? And could you pray it every day? As a until it becomes a habit. Until you memorize it. I haven't memorized it because I tried. I just prayed it enough. And I know it. Right? You don't have to really work at it. Just say it enough days in a row. And all of a sudden you realize, oh, I don't need this today. 
<clears throat> you can, you know, maybe put it up um, you know, on the mirror in your bathroom so that when you brush your teeth in the morning, which I really hope you guys do, by the way, <laughs> that's important, you know, as you're brushing your teeth, you can pray this prayer. Or you can put it by your bedside so that you can pray it first thing as you wake up. Or you can put it in your car so that before you drive and after you put your seatbelt on, you can pray this prayer. Um, could you imagine if we didn't just think about Pentecost as a, a day where we could put our red stoles on in the choir, but as like an ongoing participation in the life of the Spirit, what that might do with us in your own life, in your own heart. You ask the Spirit to do some things, you don't even know the fullness of what this means. I don't. But we can trust that the Spirit has more for us than we could ask or imagine. Let's do that together. Anybody game? Yes. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.